0: My name's Bob. I'm an alcoholic. And because I can't do this alone, I'm going to go back up there where I can put something down. Besides which, this puts a wall between me and you, and that's kind of the way I am. Why don't we open the meeting with a a moment of silence, uh, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can Wisdom to know the difference. Oh, I was asked, uh, this sounds whiny. Am I too close? Okay. Can you still hear me? No? Yes? Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> Squeak your neck a little. It'll be all right. That's the way mine is. I don't know about yours. Um grateful to be here sober today. Um, Grateful to be anywhere sober and alive. Step two uh, for me is the hope um, that is offered to me by AA after I come to accept the hopelessness of step one, which is just kind of how I see it. Uh, I had to get to the point of of accepting to my innermost self um, that I had this disease and that um, I was headed to absolute disaster, um, and that wasn't too hard to accept by the time I got to the point of doing that. So let me tell you a little bit about how I got to that point. Um, Alcoholism for me uh, was a progressive disease over about 20 years. I don't remember my first drink. Um, I remember when alcohol started to work for me, though. Uh, I was in medical school in Ann Arbor, and I was sitting around a local pub by the name of the Pretzel Bell, with some of my classmates and uh, drinking on a friday afternoon after class pictures of beer and i remember the day that suddenly i was sitting in that group of people and i felt like i belonged my hands weren't sweaty like they usually were around other people i found funny things to say and people were laughing at the things i said and I learned that lesson real well. I mean, that went along with alcohol for me. That was the first time it, I had ever felt comfortable around other people. And from there, you know, I drank occasionally. I drank weekends. uh, But at the end, I was a daily drunk. Um, I could not not drink. Um, there's a, a line uh, in the big book, uh, in chap beginning of Chapter 4, that says, if, when you honestly want to, you finally you cannot quit entirely, or if, when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. Well, I never tried to quit because I never saw it as a problem, but I could never predict what was going to happen when I took a drink. I might want to take a drink and take a drink. I might want to take a drink and I'd be drunk, and uh, and not know how I got that way. Um, I remember a time up at uh, the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Which is where I live. Uh, not at the Grand Canyon. I live in Prescott, Arizona. But I was up there uh, going to meet some friends hiking, and I got there early, um, and I decided to go into the bar to wait. I went, mean, where else would I wait? And I was just going to have a beer. Well, I waited for them. I expected them within the hour or so, and I had a beer, and then I had another beer, and then I had a shot of tequila, and then I had another beer, and then a, another couple of shots, and then another beer. And by the time they got in, I was really loaded, and I could barely walk to the table to have dinner with them. Um, passed out that night, got up the next morning at 5 in the morning or something. We were doing an all-day hike down into the canyon. And I woke up, you know, nauseated and headachey and hungover. And I remember clearly asking myself, what happened? I, I wasn't intending to get drunk, you know. I've got this hike ahead of me. I feel miserable. What happened? And that didn't just happen once. That happened over and over again. Um, As I say, there were times when I wanted to take a drink or two, and that's all I had. I didn't get drunk every time I drank, but I could never tell. And it got worse and worse over time. I got worse and worse over time. Um, Near the end, um, I couldn't do anything without alcohol. I couldn't eat a meal. Uh, I couldn't uh, go to a movie. Either alcohol or drugs. Uh, I smoked a lot of dope pot. I um, used a lot of other things, but um, I just couldn't do anything. I couldn't make love to my wife. I couldn't watch a TV show. I couldn't get up and go somewhere. I couldn't stay home. I, I couldn't do anything without chemicals in my body. Uh, it was an absolute necessity for me. And uh, over the last year or two that I was drinking, um, my behavior changed and got really, really bad. Um, I mistreated people at work. I threw charts. Um, I was angry with everybody. I became more and more isolated. Uh, the typical day for me uh, during the last year or so of my drinking and drugging was uh, working, uh, coming home, um, drinking beer, tequila, smoking pot, uh, watching old movies, you know, drapes drawn, uh, my wife at the other end of the room on the couch reading a book, angry at me, uh, and me just totally oblivious to the whole world, passing out at night going to sleep, getting up in the morning, and doing it again day after day after day after day. The only change in that routine was when I was not working, I would start after I got up instead of waiting until I got home from work. Um, very end, uh, I got arrested. Uh, I had my intervention by the county sheriff in Maricopa County, Arizona. Um, not the way I would recommend an intervention, but it worked for me, so I guess I shouldn't knock it um i was growing pot in my backyard and uh they found out about it and uh one day uh, they called me home saying there was a break in in my house i drove home from work and there's the broncos in the driveway and the cops in the living room with guns on their hips and i walk in the door and they said i'll bet you know why we're here and and i did and i got arrested and uh and i thought it was all going to end right then um I thought that I would be going to prison. I was told by my attorney I was facing 17 years in prison for the charges against me. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to prison. I won't survive prison. I'll die. Um, my marriage was already on the rocks. Uh, my wife was working in a company where she had military clearance, and she saw that going away and her ability to work going away because of me. Um, that really uh, seemed to put an end to our marriage. Obviously, I... Uh, Ability to practice medicine was going to be over with. I was going to prison and die. The end, it's over. And I spent a week being absolutely terrified. Um, Always been scared in my life. Always. Um, My earliest memories are those of being afraid when I was a little kid. And and I don't know where that comes from. That's just the way I was. I, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home. As far as I know, I wasn't physically abused or mistreated as a kid. My parents loved me. But I was always scared. But now I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. All I did for about a week was shake and sweat and cry, knowing that life was over. Um, at the end of that time, I got uh, thrown into treatment by uh, a guy who is now uh, a very good friend of mine, but at the time, <laughs> that was not exactly my impression of him. Uh, he said I didn't really have any choice other than, do I want to pick this treatment center or that treatment center? And uh, so I picked one and went in there, not believing that I was an alcoholic, not believing that I had a problem with drugs, only believing that I'd gotten caught. And uh, and I was going to be a good boy and follow the rules and get out of there and go back and everybody would be off my ass and I could go back to my life. And thank God that's not what happened. Um, what happened was that I was um, exposed to the people in that treatment center who were sharing their stories with me. Uh, I was... Uh, told to go to AA meetings every day, which I did, and over a period of days, I began to hear people just like you telling me about what was going on inside, and I found it was the same stuff that was going on inside of me that I had never talked about, uh, never fitting in, being scared all the time, um, being angry, always feeling less than, um, knowing for certain that I had... Only skated by, you know, by the skin of my teeth. I'd never accomplished anything. Yes, I'd gone through college and medical school and gotten good grades, but if you really knew what was going on inside of me, you'd realize that I just lucked out all the way through and someone was going to find out and kick me out of medicine and kick me out of being, you know, part of the human race. And that was going to happen. I just didn't know when. That's all the stuff that was going on inside of me. And, and I heard that over and over again from other people. And I could see, you know, the people that I was listening to, they clearly had a problem. They were sticking needles in their veins, which I hadn't done yet. And they were drinking quarts and quarts of booze every day, which I hadn't quite gotten to yet. Uh, but they were talking about the same thing that was inside of me that I'd never talked about. And it, You know, the door opened a little bit, and I began to realize that maybe if they were alcoholic and addicted, maybe I had a little bit of a problem, too. And that's how it started with me, just a little bit of realization that maybe I could identify, and I had this thing. And over the next period of a few days, um, I became more convinced of that, that, yes, I had a problem. First, I just recognized it as a problem with pot. Um, and then you know, I, I went through that progression that a lot of us do. I was Bob Elk addict. I was Bob Elk addict alcoholic. I was Bob Elk alcoholic addict, and then I was Bob alcoholic. And and that's why I introduce myself today because alcoholism covers it all for me. Um, whatever I used and you know whatever my drug of choice was, it, it's all alcoholism to me today. Um, through all of this, uh, all of my growing up and getting sober or whatever, um, religion, God, um, had nothing to do with me. Um, you know, the second step, and I'm going to read it or I'm going to screw it up because that's what I do, um, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, I didn't want to hear anything. About God, I remember so clearly discussions and interactions I had with other people when I was drinking and drugging. You know, the topic of God or religion would come up and I would just walk away. Uh, I despised people who believed in God or who had any religious beliefs. I was just so arrogant and intolerant. Well, thinking of myself as a very humble, tolerant person, of course, um, but totally intolerant of anybody who had anything to do with God. Um, and so I come into this treatment center, and they have a little chapel, and there's a cross-up on the wall. And it's like I just turned around and walked out the door. This is not going to work for me. Um, fortunately, it has. And I was told to pray, you know, pray for help in, in not taking a drink today. And, you know, my answer, of course, a uh, kind of answer I've heard in these rooms a lot, is, you don't understand. I don't believe in God I don't want to talk about God. I don't want to hear about God. I'm certainly not going to pray. And fortunately, the old-timers that I met when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous told me, you know, we don't really care. (laughs) We don't care what you believe, what you think, what you think of God, what you think of prayer. We just don't care. All that Alcoholics Anonymous cares about is what you do here. And so, go do this. And so... You know, I would go into the bathroom and close the door so no one would see me, God forbid, and get on my knees and say, you know, God, help me not take a drink today or a drug. Get up quickly, open the door, make sure no one was outside the door, and go on with my day. And at night I was told to say thank you if I hadn't taken a drink or a drug, and so I did the same thing. Um, Feeling like a total hypocrite, not believing in anything. And my experience now tells me that it doesn't matter what I think and what i believe and what i feel it only matters what i do and so i ask god's help in staying sober every day now and at the end of the day i thank god for another day of sobriety uh, because i know i don't do this myself that's not how it was in the beginning but over time i found that when i take actions that are suggested and i'll call it anonymous i change and my thinking changes and that's what it tells me, you know, in the big book and in our literature. It says that we can't change just by thinking about doing something different. We have to do something different, and then we change. And that's exactly what happened to me. Um, in the beginning, my higher power were the people in those treatment center, in the treatment center that I was in. They knew a lot more about it than I did. And a little time later, my higher power became Alcoholics Anonymous and my home group. Um, there were people in there who obviously knew a lot more—not just about staying sober, but about life—than I did, and I learned tremendous lessons in that first home group. And uh, and over time, my higher power has become something that I can't really describe, but it's just a, a strength that I draw on. It's something that allows me the strength to walk through stuff that, if I would, to look at it. You know, before I found a higher power, it would be like, well, that's impossible. Um, Things like my wife, at a few years of sobriety, getting cancer and dying. I mean, if someone had described that to me 20 years ago, it was like, well, forget it. I'm not going through that. That'll be impossible. But I was able to do that with Alcoholics Anonymous and her being in Al-Anon. And one of the graces of this program is that over time of her illness. I mean, we were able to share openly and honestly and go through that together. And by the time she died, there was no unfinished business, you know. We were okay with what was going to happen. I mean, I wasn't happy about it. I was I was broken up terribly. But people in alcoholics anonymous carried me to meetings. People in alcohol alcoholics anonymous carried me through that when I couldn't do it myself. That's the strength that my higher power gave me. I've been fired in sobriety. I've lost both parents in sobriety. I've lost members of my family to this disease. Um, tough stuff has happened. And joy has happened. Um, I got married Again, in sobriety, found a, a woman who I loved and, and who loved me, and that was a miracle to me that there would be two women that I could fall in love with and who would love me. And um, she's in Al-Anon, and I'm in AA, and we go through, through this together. You know, um, I never had to go through going to prison. Um, I became willing to. Um, I got to the point of becoming willing to do whatever it took, no matter what happened. To stay sober, and so, over a period of a few months in sobriety, I was ready. If I had to go to prison, to go to prison, and I knew I was not going to drink, I'd find AA, I'd read literature, I'd do whatever it took not to drink, even if I had to go to prison. Turned out I didn't have to do that. Uh, maybe just me being willing was enough. Um, but I didn't have to, and I, we put that marriage back together. That woman that I was married to when I got arrested. Through counseling and through AA and Al Anon, uh, we put that marriage back together, thank God. And, uh, I was able to go back to work and I didn't lose the job and I didn't lose my license and, and, you know, all the stuff that I was absolutely certain was gonna happen, uh, when I got arrested didn't happen. And the greatest, greatest thing that's happened to me in Alcoholics Anonymous was the fact that I found a higher power. I pray every day now. And that's unbelievable to me from where I came from. The word "God" does not turn my stomach today. I use it frequently. Um, Without a higher power in my life, I could not go through this. Um, Just a couple of words about um, insanity, which is also part of the second step. I hear some people share about how the you know they did all these insane things when they're drinking, and that's not what I was taught. The word "insanity" in the second step means. I don't know anything of myself, just what I've been taught in Alcoholics Anonymous. But what I've been taught is that the insanity is, for me, knowing all I've been through, knowing that drinking and drugging led me to the point of standing on the edge of the cliff with the ground crumbling out from under me, ready to lose job, wife, life, freedom, all of that as a result. I could still have thoughts today, on a hot day, look at an ad for a beer and say, Oh, that might taste good. That's crazy. I'm like that guy in chapter 3 in the big book, Fred, who, you know, his life is going well and he's on a business trip and he just crosses the threshold into the dining room and says, Oh, it'd be a good idea to have a cocktail. That's how I think. I might take another drink if I don't stay close to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's why I stay real close to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I don't believe that if I stay embedded in Alcoholics Anonymous, that I will find it necessary to take a drink. I think the time will come when nothing will stand between me and that drink, like it says in the book, except my higher power. Uh, it hasn't got that bad yet. The compulsion hasn't come back. The thoughts have but not the compulsion. But I think it's going to happen. And so I stay real close to Alcoholics Anonymous. I have a home group. The people in that group know me, know me real well. I go to a lot of meetings. I have a service position, something I was taught when I came in here. I've had some position in service, whether it was a greeter at my home group, or a coffee maker, or secretary, or GSR, DCM, intergroup rep, whatever it is, because I believe that service will help me stay grateful. And service will help me stay part of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I heard a speaker once say early in sobriety from a podium that he didn't think that people fell off a roof from the middle of the roof; they fell off from the edge of the roof. And I don't want to get on the edge of Alcoholics Anonymous. I stay right in the middle of the pack. Um, I'll do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous that I can do. When people say, "You know, this needs to be done," can anyone do it? I find myself raising my hand if I can, if I haven't got another commitment because it's important to me to give back what little I can to Alcoholics Anonymous to stay part of this thing. it It's my life. Alcoholics Anonymous is my life. I do lots of other stuff outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, but without Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't have a life. The relationship I have with a higher power is changing over time. I can't really define it. I can't tell you what it is. I'm really grateful that the 11th step says "sought through prayer and meditation, not found through prayer and meditation," because I'm not sure I found anything. Um, some days, you know, I really believe, and some days I have questions, and I'm not sure I believe. Um, so I'm on a path, you know, and the the path isn't like a straight line. It's like you know, it's a path that kind of wanders, and uh, some days are better than others, um, but. In seeking, and I keep seeking, I keep attempting meditation, I keep attempting prayer. The seeking, I think, is what allows me to stay here. I believe this is really a gift from my higher power. And it's not something I earn by, you know, checking off all the boxes on the sheet. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? But doing stuff in Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, makes me willing to accept that gift on a daily basis from my higher power. I'm really grateful to be part of IDAA and, uh, and part of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, since I went to my first meeting in Boca Raton in 1990, um, IDAA has been an integral part of my life. There's a fellowship here that's really the frosting on the cake, as it was described to me. It doesn't keep me sober, but the friends that I have in IDAA and the fellowship that I renew every year, um, it's indispensable to me. Really grateful to Steve to uh, to have asked me to share here uh, this morning, and we have uh, lots of time left, so I'm hoping other people will be willing to stand up to the mic and share a little bit of their experience about step two. Thank you very much for letting me share.
1: Good morning, I'm Dick Green, recovering alcoholic. Uh, Tony Kaye from Florida would say he hates dead air, and I, I hated dead air immediately there, and I thought of him. And I haven't got a whole lot to say right now, which is unusual, <laughs> but I love this program, and appreciating that the uh, change in my behavior, the change in my lifestyle, the change in my thinking that's happened through the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is, is extremely powerful, and I'm extremely grateful to be sober today. And thinking about uh, coming to believe, um, my belief system today is radically different than it was a little over 19 years ago when I tried to get sober for the last time. And I have such gratitude today for the, for the fact that by following the steps and the advice of people in Alcoholics Anonymous uh, that I have this wonderful life. Uh, to tell you, I'm happy is a lie. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm elated to be alive. This is the greatest thing that God has ever done for me, is to give me this gift of life. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change my life in Alcoholics Anonymous now for anything. Uh, all, the, everything I wanted out of a bottle of whiskey, I have today. I'm happy. I'm contented. I'm secure. Appreciating going through very sad experiences, death loss of friendships, uh, very painful, very emotional, but very real. And, and that's the thing that I find so beautiful about this life in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's all real. This is what's happening to me. Experience it. Find peace, find, find joy. And coming to believe that I have value enough to say that I'm worthy of the very best life that God has given me and not to waste a moment of it with the idea that it's somebody else's responsibility to take care of my needs. I can ask for what I want today. I can also be rejected today. Not that it doesn't hurt, but I have something here that is worth more than any other precious thing that I ever thought of, Uh, the right and privilege to be alive and to enjoy my life. Um, I'm just thrilled with Alcoholics Anonymous and IDA. Thank you all.
2: Hi, my name's Andy, and I'm an alcoholic. And step two for me has changed over the years, and, and it changes week by week and day by day. Um, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. When I first came in the program, it was came to believe that restoring my marriage could restore me to sanity. Uh, came to believe that a new antidepressant would restore me to sanity came to believe that neuropsych testing would restore me to sanity. Everything but a relationship with a higher power. And whatever you can substitute in for a relationship with a higher power, I look for to restore me to sanity. And none of that stuff has worked. Came to believe that you know, getting back in medicine would restore me to sanity. Came to believe that this next meeting, this next speaker, everything would restore me to sanity because I was looking and I was definitely insane. Um, I grew up as a reformed Jew and the religion was real important to me, but the the relationship I had with my higher power was very um, misguided I guess is the best way to say it in Judaism, they say on uh the Jewish New Year between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, and I know this isn't supposed to be a religious thing, but but this is where I my mind was. Um, you know, in these ten days, what what you do is written in the book of life. And if God knew what I was doing during those ten days, I was screwed. <laughs> and and so I had to reconcile that and I had no idea how and this program has given me hope and given me a new direction Um, the God I found the higher power I found in AA I found in nature And that was totally different than the God I found and the higher power I found in religion. And religion was very important to me from a social standpoint and from a family standpoint and how to reconcile those two ideas was very difficult for me and I found that reconciliation early in recovery and, and I'm grateful for that um, but that second step the, for me the the crux is, is what am I substituting for my higher power to restore me to sanity and uh Whenever I'm out of whack, I can look at that and see what I'm seeking and searching for to find out what I'm substituting. Thank you.
3: My name is John. I'm an alcoholic. I don't know what moved me to get up here, but you got to do it sometime. Every time I come to one of these things, I always say, I'll get up next. Anyway, uh you know, all I can share, you, share with you is the path it took for me. And if you're an alcoholic like I was, you weren't going to get whipped by this stuff. I watched my uncles die. I watched brother die in a car wreck. I watched all these people. I worked at my dad's bar, and I knew the alcoholics in town. But, boy, I wasn't an alcoholic, and that wasn't going to happen to me because I'm smarter than that. I can handle this stuff. If I get in trouble, I'll get out of it myself. I was in the first grade. The teacher called my dad and said I was misbehaving in school. He'd come up and straighten me out. He said he got himself in that trouble. He can get himself out. That's the kind of the way I was raised. Well, if you're an alcoholic, you get in as much trouble as I get in. You wonder how you kept going. But seeing alcoholics dedicated to his disease and he doesn't know it. He fights this thing. I was in trouble in high school, and I was in trouble in college, I was in trouble in the Army. It was wrecks, and it was jail, and it was all kinds of bad luck. But I'm an alcoholic, and I brush myself off, and I get up and try harder. That's the only way I knew how to fight life. But the day comes when you can't fight it anymore. And uh, I'd heard of a farmer that committed suicide when I was a little kid. And, you know, how could anybody do that? But I'll guarantee you, if you stay with this disease long enough, it'll be the best thought you ever had. So that's what had to happen to me to get to a point that I was willing to get help. Surrender. My family had had an intervention. Somebody said they've sat through one of these interventions, and they put me in a corner and had my five kids and my wife and my boss there. and Everybody told me about my bad luck and uh, all the things I was doing in their life, and they were going to send me off to Minnesota to treatment. This was in January of 1980, and I told them all go to hell. You can't send an alcoholic anywhere. They wouldn't, if they were gonna leave, just get out of my life. After all I've done for all you people, killing myself trying to provide for you. But anyway, that was the start of uh, a lot of getting honest. Six months later, like I said, that suicide deal, but that one of my little daughters was in on that deal, so after I got to that hospital, I end up <clears throat> After that suicide deal scared me, I, I called the, under Alcoholics in the Yellow Pages and called a number. And you know, I never, my wife had gone to AA, I never in my wildest dreams was going to that place. That's for those bad people. <laughs> so I got to this hospital. My little daughter brought me a card with a picture of a tree with a rope hanging from the limb of the tree. It said, when a man gets to the end of his rope, then he's ready to have a beginning with God. And I still keep that by my bed because that's the turn, turning point of my life. I knew what the end of the rope was. If you're sitting in here and you don't know, you're in trouble. This whole program, if anybody's sober today, you have to go through a surrender. Somebody's saying they hope they never have to do this again. God, I don't want to go through that again either. But because of this surrender, see, I'd had a God in my life. I had a a little boy that was dying, and I prayed like hell, and that little boy was given back to me after two doctors told me to call an undertaker. So I I, I knew God could do anything. But see, I didn't want to quit drinking. Alcohol was the only way I could cope with life, and I had to have it. And I hung onto that bottle to that suicide. And so when I got to this hospital, I knew what powerless was. I knew what the end of the rope was. And I was telling an A member about this and I said, well, what do you do when you get to the end of the rope? And this old man was been sober four years. He'd been in that same hospital. He's retired and he came by every morning just to visit with us drunks to keep himself <coughs> sober. He said, when you get to the end of your rope, you tie a knot and hang on so you don't slip off. That made sense. How do you do that? He said, that's what AA is all about. If you'll go to AA, they'll help you find a God of your understanding. As long as you hang on to God, you won't slip off. So a couple of days later, I knew about this first step when they read it. it was, I, I'd been through that. But the second step they read up there came to believe that God can keep you sober. I knew God could do, could do anything. But see, I tried everything. and I knew people that had tried to quit drinking. Some of them were dry drunks for a long period of time, but they all went back drinking again. And to me, to drink again would be to die. And I said, You know, I know he can, but will he? And the only way you're going to come to believe is to have other people share their belief with you. People came to that hospital to talk to us, told us their story, and they were sober. That impressed me, because I couldn't do that. And so I started going to meetings and, and following these people. I had a sponsor that... I I probably wouldn't have gone to all those meetings because we had to drive back and forth to Oklahoma City about 35 miles one way to every other night to go to a meeting. And I wouldn't have done that on my own. But he hauled me to these meetings anyway. We're going to a meeting after I was out of the hospital about a month, I guess. He said, how are you feeling? You know, every alcoholic's fine. He said, how do you really feel? I said, I'm scared. I'm going to get drunk. Every meeting you go to, here's people getting drunk. Relapses of that slipping is just the only thing I heard. I just didn't want to do that again. He said, well, you can worry about it if you want to. But he said, I've been sober two and a half years, and I ask God every morning to help me. I thank Him every night, and I haven't had a drink for two and a half years. See, that man could tell me that, but I couldn't tell myself that. But the fear of getting drunk left me at that moment. I have a lot of respect for it still do today. But I don't have any fear of getting drunk because I'm going to do what He did. And so you start on this path, and then you still really don't. You know, you know. They tell the story. Do you really believe when you see a guy on the tightrope up there? Do you believe that he's going to make it back? They said, so "Go up there and get the wheelbarrow." You know, if you really think he's going to do it, you're not. I don't want to get up there. So, about my sobriety day is June twenty-fourth, nineteen eighty, and I didn't pick that day. That was just a day after I got. To where I, I, I tapered off a couple of days after that suicide deal, but anyway, that happened to be the day, June the 24th. Turns out, December 24th. It's Christmas Eve, and I'm going around see Christmas. And our family was going around about five different family groups and partying and all of them, and then going to midnight mass and sleeping, and then going back after midnight mass and partying some more. So here I was, I'd gone through all those family deals, no drinking. And I went to Midnight Mass, so I'm sitting there, and the first time in my life I'd been sober at Midnight Mass since a little kid. I'm sitting in that church, and I hear those music for the first time, I really hear it. And I get a feeling coming over me that you all know when that when you really come to believe. Because at that moment I knew that I was probably going to stay sober. Before that time I wasn't sure. But there'll come a time when you will come to believe. And all you got to do from that time on is hang on to it. Hang on to the end of that rope, tie that knot, and you won't slip off. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you.
4: My name's Ian, and I'm an alcoholic. I don't know why I'm doing this. I feel I'm absolutely nuts. Um, normally, I speak at AA meetings in small groups, and uh, and uh, but I think I figured I drove a long way to get here, so I might as well participate. Um, and we're talking about step two, I thought. Um, it, it it crossed my mind that a uh, um, uh, power greater than me could restore me to sanity. Uh big problem is that I've been uh, sober for a, a, a while now, and I've worked very hard at this uh, power greater than myself. But the sanity... <sighs> I don't know, every now and then I get a glimpse of it, you know? I just, it's there for a minute and then it's gone. The only thing is that as I go about my life, I recognize the insanities that are occurring and I'm sort of trying to make adjustments for them as I'm going along. Now I'm I'm coming um, a long way by automobile, so of course I had to buy three maps and then I sat for hours, poring over these maps, because I'm very controlling things have to go my way, I have to do it perfectly I cannot miss a turn this would be a failure you see what I'm getting at here, anyhow so I've got, I've, I've got my uh, urinary stops along the way me and my wife, alternates anyway and um, I poured over these maps and I poured over these maps and then we decided to come another way (laughs) so I... I, actually my higher power got onto me there because the way I was going was, was insane so... and I recognized this so I said that's okay I'd asked and I got some direction so we wanted to come another way so I poured over the maps And then I poured over the maps and I got it all written down and I had several different colors, you know how you go, these little pencils. So I got it all fine. And then I realized that the maps were three or four years old and I... So I went out to the thing and I bought another set of maps because I was sure that in the meantime the United States had changed all of the road systems and that all of the interstate systems were completely changed and I wanted to be absolutely certain that they were up to date. And uh before I left, because I was full of fear fear is left for faith, and I realised that my I, I I had not I had not prayed about this at all. I had not reached out and so I bought this up at an AA meeting and I was telling them all about this, you know, and everybody was saying, I understand how you feel. I do the same thing, I couldn't believe it and I you know, everybody and I thought we're all nuts, you know. We're all crazy and yes it's okay because I'm alive and that's okay too and I recognize that I have the disease of addiction the disease of alcoholism and that uh, there is a lot of insane thinking that goes along with it is I self and me the ism of alcoholism and I recognize that if I work the steps uh, that there is a reasonable chance that I will be able to remain sober and just catch these brief glimpses of sanity as, I, as, as I'm going through for the rest of my life. I, and I, I, got a, a, I got a... When I was about a year and a half sober, I, I was uh, accused of uh, drinking when I was... I was back at work by this time. I was an operating surgeon. And I was accused of drinking. And... Um, I thought, this is ridiculous. I saw, somebody thought, maybe, maybe I had a drink and I didn't know it? I was that uh, worried about it, you know. And then they, I found out that people said that I was, my, I was exhibiting the same behaviors as I was before I, I, I left, you know. In any event, uh, I, I recognized at that point that I'd only done steps one, two, and three. I started out an Alcoholics Anonymous, and atheist. Uh, I, man created God in his own image and, uh, and of course there was no greater God but me and that I was uh, in charge I was the intellectually self-sufficient guy you know so I did recognize that uh, I had a problem and that I continued and I hadn't made the changes necessary ok and what I'm telling you this is that I did I went right in I did my step 4 I did my step 5 and I worked the steps I worked the steps I consider myself to be on the um, in steps you know the maintenance steps 10, 11 and 12 ok I I, I pray I meditate I'm still crazy you know and that's ok I, that's, I, I'm, I, I read uh, this book about um, the uh, the spirituality of imperfection and I love that, I'm, I'm imperfectly perfect and, um, or perfectly imperfect, I haven't figured that out yet, but when I have uh, but what I think is that I, I am going to, uh, this disease is not curable I don't like the word recovery because I don't think I shall ever recover from this disease but at least I can get a reprieve I uh, I can go into remission, if you like I will die with this disease but with my God with my understanding, with Alcoholics Anonymous, which I go to regularly with these meetings, that I hope and pray that I will not have to die of this disease. Thank you.
5: I am Bob Kim, an alcoholic. And I agree with the last speaker that we're all crazy in here, but fortunately we're not all crazy at the same time. But my understanding of a higher power certainly has changed the longer I've been sober. There was a time in my drinking career that I was an agnostic, and that was my attempt to deny God, therefore I could live my life the way I wanted to. But I always knew that there was a higher power, and I believed in a higher power, but I didn't believe he believed in me. And it was so much easier to be agnostic, because I could do what I wanted to do, drink what I wanted to drink, and do things I wanted to do, and it was okay you know, and it was that time period that you know the time magazine that said God was dead and all that that kind of fitted into my lifestyle. But when I reached my bottom, I knew that I had to find a higher power, and I did all kinds of things to get that magical moment i uh, used to have cassette tapes tapes in my car and when I would turn on the car I would have religious tapes playing and so on and so forth. And that was an attempt to find the magic. And I don't think there's that type of uh, magical moment for me in AA that everything became clear to me. It was a it's a gradual process that changed my Understanding of a higher power. And the longer I'm in AA, the longer I work the steps, the longer I pray and meditate, the deeper my understanding of a higher power is. My most recent insight was I was reading a meditation book by Dr. Torsky, and I'm sure I've read this 19 times, but his definition of a higher power was, simply a power that you can count on all the time and this time that made sense to me the other 18 times I guess I missed the point but for me that meant you know that faith is like when you get to the edge of the cliff and you step off you, you believe that you'll find firm ground to stand on or you'll learn to fly and I th- I think AA has taught me how to learn to fly. Now, there are good days and bad days, and you know, our speaker talked about Boca Raton. When I was in Boca Raton, I was sober a few years, and I had a tremendous uh, setback there. The battery in my uh, camera didn't work, and my camera didn't work, and that was a tragedy. And I got so pissed off that I put my foot through the wall of, the, of the, my hotel room in Boca Raton is a five star hotel and at Boca Raton for some reason they did not give us the keys to the, 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 the refrigerator that had the booze in it and I was kind of irritated when we got, got there at the hotel because you know don't they trust me but I when I had this tremendous tragedy of my battery going dead in the camera, I would have drank, I would have drank, but I didn't have the damn key. And, and so that was just, reminded me that the power of this disease, and that my higher power for whatever, whatever reason, didn't make alcohol available to me. If alcohol, if alcohol would have been available to me, I would have drank. And I, you, you know, who knows what would have happened after that. And there's been a couple other times in my sobriety that if I had, would have had access to alcohol or drugs, I would have taken them. I just didn't have access. So it, it just reminds me that in the right frame of mind, in the right circumstance, I can drink again. I can drink again and it makes me so grateful to be sober today that each day is <clears throat> is indeed a gift and you know, the, the reality is that not everybody in this room is going to die sober there's a likelihood that some of us may drink again and that's not... and when I see people reintroduce it just reminds me of how precious sobriety is what a gift it is and, I'm grateful I need to be on a daily basis that I'm sober today. Because there's, <clears throat> there's nothing that I did to earn this sobriety. I, I mean, there was a lot of sweat involved in staying sober. But I've seen other people that have done a lot of work. And somehow they didn't get it. And it's just, and I think maybe they, they are an example to me. To remind me of how precious recovery and sobriety is. And I'm certainly grateful to be here. I'm certainly grateful to be sober today. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Bob. Dale is going to be sharing uh, at 11 o'clock, so why don't we close this meeting with uh, holding hands and the serenity prayer.